Welcome back again to the Metal Exchange. Justin and Chris here with you for another week. This week, we do Dream Theaters Falling into Infinity. Uh, Chris's choice, and I look forward to it. I think I think it's going to be one of our more interesting episodes because we've done a lot of um, classic albums and, and albums that really hold up well. But I'm curious to get your thoughts on this album because it's uh, I don't know that it's as widely regarded as, as some of the albums that we've done in the past, but before we get there, what did you listen to this week? Anything good? Um, I want to definitely point out, um, a handful of like, uh, single releases, but, um, I did go and I finally listened to the scar dust album that you recommended. And oh my goodness, I, really really enjoyed it even on the first listen i was hooked immediately um that was awesome and um the one song um where is it um tantibus 2 which i think i mentioned last week i cannot stop listening to that song what an outstanding album um i think um I'll, I'll say this as we get towards the end of the year and a lot of people are putting out their best of lists for the year you know, we'll get into ours in a special episode uh, towards the end of the year or the beginning of the new year once we've had a chance to digest everything. I'm not giving everything anything away. Scardust will be in my top 10 for sure. And it's going to be pretty high up there. I can't stop listening to this album. Even even now, I, I, I heard it, you know, a couple of weeks ago for the first time. And I just, I think I play it a couple of times a week, every week. It's just, there's something magical about that album. I'm not even sure what it is, but I, I love it. Yep, I absolutely agree um for me it's going to be definitely like a late entry to like one of my favorite albums of the year um also um on friday uh majestica formerly rain seed um which is headed by uh sabaton guitarist tommy johansson um they released a christmas themed album uh where most of the music is your you know uh well-known christmas theme uh, songs, but with original lyrics, um, and it's telling uh, a story of of classic Christmas Carol. Um, it is <laughs> is such a fun album, just exactly what you would expect when you hear Majestica slash Rainseed plus Christmas equals joy. It was awesome. It was. Yeah. It was. It was. I, I I had tempered expectations. I think for this, just because. I don't know. I mean, I like the I like the Majestica album, and and I thought it was well done. I had a little bit of reservation when it came to throwing the Christmas theme on top of it. My God, what an album! It was such a pleasant surprise, and something that I'll be enjoying for the next uh, bunch of weeks as we go through the holiday season. But it is it is a really really good listen, and and I look forward to uh, hearing it again. I, I only heard it once, but I just loved it after the first listen. Yeah, and uh, it's one of those things where like 2020 has been kind of a, a rough year, but a lot of like stuff that's getting released because bands can't tour, like you have to wonder, does this album happen if Sabaton's touring all through 2020 and, and is, th- is there any time to do something like this? Um, so, I mean, yeah, it stinks we haven't been able to go to any concerts, but I think we're getting a lot of cool uh, material that we might not have gotten otherwise and um one of those things i i just have to mention i absolutely loved um beyond the black is a uh, a german band 
uh, with a female singer named Jennifer Haben. They did an acoustic cover of um, Sabaton's uh, To Hell and Back um, for the Vakken Open Air Acoustic Clash lockdown session, uh, which I don't believe is available anywhere outside of YouTube, but um, super cool. Jennifer plays the flute. Um, it's a really, really well done cover. I enjoyed the hell out of this. this is another track that I've found myself listening to over and over again. And I just also want to make um, a quick shout out to uh, once again, friend of the show, Ashley Edison and his brother Bradley. Um, they're both members of Power Quest, but their other band, Dendera, just released their newest EP, Reborn into Darkness, that was officially released on Friday. Um, there's uh, four tracks on it. One's just kind of an intro, and they have a couple of uh, guest stars on it, including Tommy Johansson, as mentioned earlier. So um, that's just a couple of the things. There's a lot of a lot of new music came out this week in terms of like um, new albums and a lot of singles uh, came out. Um, so I'm, I'm curious to hear what you had a chance to listen to. Yeah, it was, it was, it was a power packed week. Um, there was a lot of stuff that I listened to. I'll just give you a couple of things that stood out to me. I thought the Dendera EP was fantastic. I was blown away by it. Um, I, I wasn't sure what to expect. I was familiar with some of the stuff in their back catalog, but I thought that this was really, really well done. And we'll definitely put a plug up for that. Um, this week, just because I think it's something that people need to hear. Uh, another thing that I heard, which really took me back in time, the new Labyrinth single, Live Today. My God, it, it was like hearing a B-side off Return to Heaven Denied, which is not a bad thing. I think that I speak for many Labyrinth fans when I say that that is their best album. It's their magnum opus. And it's really what people think about when they think of classic uh, Labyrinth power metal. But the new single was fantastic, fantastic. And I, and I, I, if this is any indication as to what the full album will be like, I think we're all in for a treat next year. I absolutely agree. This was, again, one of those tracks where I, I only had to listen to it once to know, like, okay, we got a real, a real big, like, this is a real hit. Um, I'm really looking forward to hearing the entire album. The other single that was released was really strong as well. So it does sound like they're kind of um, returning to that late 90s kind of sound that they had uh, for Return to Heaven Denied, um, which I'm sure no one's going to complain about. Yeah, it was it was it, it was just really, really well done. I, I look forward to that. And I'll just mention one other album that was recently released, which I really liked. And this is for the people that like the symphonic, the symphonic side of metal with the with the female vocals. There's a band out of Sweden called Elaine. It's uh, spelled E-L-E-I-N-E. -E, and We'll post, uh, we'll post something from their new album, Dancing in Hell, which came out uh, at the end of November. This is extremely well done, symphonic metal uh, with excellent orchestrations and a singer which just puts them over the top. Uh, not, they, they're not getting the exposure, I think, that uh, some of the other bands in the genre have, have, have grown to, to, to get, like an Epica or a uh, or obviously a Nightwish, but this is a really really good band out of Sweden, and and I thought the whole album was fantastic. I I didn't I, it was hard for me I guess to choose one particular track that that stood out. I just thought the whole listen was exceptionally well done and and, and definitely worth everybody's time to check out. Well, I'm gonna have to listen to that. I hadn't have not heard that. Nice. I'll 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 post it. Uh, I'll post it this week. But with that, let's get into the reason why we're actually here, falling into infinity. Um, 
I, I'll go back to something I said last week, which was this album was an excellent choice, not just because it's kind of like a forgotten uh, album in their back catalog, but it's almost um, uh, in some ways a victim of, of the placement in its back catalog. And by that, I mean, Dream Theater comes out with When Dream and Day Unite in 1989. Uh, they, they're put on the map as a progressive metal band. And, and obviously with Charlie Dominici singing, uh, it had a little bit of a different feel to it. But by the time they release Images and Words three years later, this is a band that is, you know, they, they come out with a gold album. They're all over MTV for Pull Me Under. And they're really, I think, at that point, cementing themselves as like the pinnacle progressive metal band on the planet, let alone, um, you know, let, let alone here in the U.S. They come out with a follow up Awake, which probably didn't have the love that Images and Words did, but it's widely regarded as a uh, uh, a, a, a supremely uh, ambitious and, and quite frankly, uh, fantastic effort. And that album actually did better on the chart on the charts than Images and Words did two years prior. And then we know that later on, they're going to release Metropolis Part 2, which not only cements them back on the map, but it's really where I think they began to grow as a band. They they started doing big, big tours in large, um, you know, stadiums and amphitheaters all across the world. And it was really kind of their coming back effort. And we'll get into that in a little bit. But then in the middle of that, you have Falling Into Infinity which is um, definitely their probably least progressive album when you look at the entire catalog. But also, it's an album which I think they were definitely trying to get uh, the commercial appeal just because of the label they were on and, and where the scene was going You know, in general. I guess my first question for you is, what made you choose this particular album when you look back at Dream Theater's back catalog? Uh, well, the reason I chose it was because in a lot of ways, I felt like going with an images and words or an awake or a scenes from a memory was probably going to just turn into another love fest. And I thought like the albums I've chosen so far for me have been kind of love fests like ocean born and angels cry. Um, so I wanted to go with something that I know isn't exactly widely loved by both the metal community and the dream theater fan base. Um, not to say that it's a bad album, but when you, like you said, you cram that in between like three of, of the most um, epic albums of, of a genre, uh, it's going to get, you know, it's going to get some, some, some negative press, unfortunately, which at, I believe at the time, um, like you said, they were going for, a more commercial sound. And at the time, I think after there was some backlash, it sounded like the band wanted to put the onus on the label for pushing them to make something that's a little bit more palatable, a little bit more radio friendly. But, you know, in later times, John Petrucci did an interview saying that they made the exact album that they were setting out to make. So maybe, I don't know. Maybe they were trying to save face in the early days, and now they just want to say like, "Hey." I mean, they even changed the logo on the the cover art um, from the classic Dream Theater logo, or just the the um, whatever you want to call it the the circle with the um, the Majesty logo, if you will. Um, so it really felt like at the time that they were trying to maybe have a different identity or just 
get some attention um, from people that might not have been listening before. And it also should be mentioned that their uh, longtime keyboardist, Kevin Moore, had left the band and was replaced by Derek Sherinian, who um, I, I guess in the same way you can say Donald Trump, star of uh, Home Alone, uh, Derek Sherinian, star of Wayne's World. He's actually in the credits as the keyboardist in Alice Cooper's band. Um, so he had joined the band. I'm not 100% sure if he recorded the uh, Change of Seasons uh, EP um, a couple of years prior to this, or if that was Kevin Moore's last Call of Duty with the band, but either way. Um, so he, there's a, a new element in the band there in, in um, Derek Sherinian as their keyboard player. So that should be mentioned as well, that we're not taught. This isn't the exact same lineup as um, the first couple albums. Um, so yeah, that's kind of the reason why I thought it would just be really interesting to choose something that, that has a little bit of a, a backlash and, maybe a little bit of a negative um, vibe from the fan base and, and from the metal community in general. You, 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 I think you picked a, a perfect album for the week. I'll, I'll tell you that just a, a little bit history for you. Kevin Moore le- leaves the band in 1994. Derek Sherinian comes on board and he records a change of seasons, uh, which was ultimately released in 1995. And in full disclosure, it's my favorite song of all time. Bar none, my favorite song of all time. Um, so a lot of people kind of credit or discredit Sherinian for for the falling into infinity effort. But two years prior, he lays down the keyboards on uh, you know a twenty three minute epic track, which is the basis of the A Change of Seasons EP. I should note that the song itself was written uh, and recorded years earlier, and that the band actually played A Change of Seasons live back in 1993 when they were on tour. So the, the, the song was recorded earlier, but then they tweaked it a little bit, kind of changed some of the uh, the structure, and then ultimately Derek Sherinian records the keyboards for the 1995 EP. But the song had been written, but he kind of puts his own flavor on it, on the final uh, product, which which everyone is familiar with. Um, when, they get to, when they get to 1997, when they start recording this album, you know, it's it's interesting. I think that the band was going through a lot of turmoil, from what I understand, internally, uh, and that may be a, a reason why the album's a little bit all over the place. Certainly, it has a very cohesive feel in terms of just a more commercial sound. But when I think of this album, and before I went back to listen to it, I always thought of this as a three-song disc. It's a long disc. It comes in at over 78 minutes. But to me, the entire album was always New Millennium, which kicks off the album, Lines in the Sand, which is, you know, kind of in the middle of the album, and Trial of Tears, which was a 13-minute epic that ended the album. And I could kind of take or leave, in many cases, leave the rest of the album, uh, at least for me. I always thought it was a three-song disc, uh, but I kind of have a lot of different thoughts having gone back to listen to it. Um, I'll admit, not the first Dream Theoratum that I would go back and listen to if it had not been for the podcast. I, I listen to Dream Theater, you know, frequently. Uh, this is not the one I go back and grab, but I'm glad that I did because I think I have a little bit of a different opinion now than I did, you know, 20 years ago. Uh, did you did you find that it was different for you, or, or did it kind of stand up the way that you, you know, once thought it did? Uh, you know, I would say that I never really disliked the album from the beginning, and I think a big part of that was because. It was, if it wasn't the first Dream Theater album I owned, it was 
the second. I mean, I bought this in a wake very close to one another right around the time falling into infinity was released. Um, and growing, like growing up, I really enjoyed there's three ballads, like three straight ballads on this album. And I really like those. Those are the ones I gravitated towards when I was younger. I just really like ballads. Like, and I think a lot of that was because, um, sabotage was like my first love in metal. And they are to me, like the Kings of, of, of an Epic power ballad. And so, um, I, I gravitated towards hollow years and, um, take away my pain and Anna Lee. Um, I just really, gravitated towards those songs um now list coming back and listening to it now um you know it's the other songs the more heavier songs that i'm starting to really appreciate a lot more um to me like new millennium the, the opening track is i would say the of all the songs on this album to me like that's probably the most like classic kind of dream theater song um maybe not in terms of like how it was written, but just like when I hear that song, I think of like nineties dream theater. Like, yeah. That. I mean, it's a typical Mike Portnoy track, which is not a bad thing. It's, it's an iconic thing. It's a great thing, but it's, it's the most quote unquote dream theater of the disc, uh, arguably. And I, I think that you could also put in there lines in the sand too, which I'm sure we'll get to, but I, I agree with you. New millennium sets the stage. And then ultimately they just kind of go on a real big pivot <laughs> into you, not me. Right. Uh, I feel like You Not Me and, and Peruvian Skies and, and Burning My Soul were kind of like those three tracks were um, they're a little more like mid-tempo. They're not ballads. Peruvian Skies is kind of like starts out like a ballad but then it picks up. But those three songs are like a little bit strange, I guess. Like they don't really fit with Dream Theater's overarching sound, I guess. Um, they're not bad songs per se, but you can tell that they kind of have, um, they were kind of going for something that might end up on the radio. I happen to really enjoy You Not Me. I think that's a really cool song. Um, it's very different. The keyboards are really cool in that song. Um, but yeah, I'm with you on um, the, uh, the Lines in the Sand and Trial of Tears are definitely like your long epic you know they're both they're 12 minutes and 13 minutes respectively um just like classic like dream theater like inch like like showing off their instruments i want to mention i think labrie sounds fantastic on this whole album start to finish um i guess maybe because it's not as technical as some of the other dream theater albums you you get really more of a chance to appreciate what like Labrie could bring to the table back then. Um, So that was something I was listening on really good headphones too. So like, I really was kind of ingesting the whole experience and I thought he sounded really good. Um, So yeah, that's kind of where I'm at with that. He, you know, a lot of people think that he kind of blew out his voice on the awake tour and, and there's no question that his voice changed over the years. I think part of the reason he sounds so good on this disc is because a lot of it's just in a lower register. So he's not having to hit those high notes that he had to, uh, you know, belt out on images and words. Uh, not that they aren't on here, but they're just not as prevalent, I guess, as, as some of the other releases. But he does. He sounds fantastic. Um, going back to what you said about the ballads, you know, I always thought of Hollow Years as the song that I would play for people when they said, oh, you know, what kind of music are you listening to? And this was the late 90s. And I would play Hollow Years because it was the most uh, digestible track. And I like the ballads on this album. I just thought that there were maybe one or two too many of them. I think Anna Lee is great. 
uh, Hollow Years is also fantastic. I Take Away My Pain is probably my least favorite of the three. may even be my least favorite on the album. But um, Hollow Years and Anna Lee are just fantastic, fantastic tracks. And it's something that I think was, you know, really digestible to the masses to the extent that they were listening to it back then. Um, you know, we, we get into Burning My Soul, which you had mentioned, obviously not a ballad, but a song that, um, you know, certainly heavier and felt more of the awake vibe that was, you know, just a couple of years prior. I just want to make note of Hell's Kitchen for a second. I think that Hell's Kitchen might be the most... Um, you know, for an instrumental track, it's, it's it's a track that nobody really talks about much on this album. But to me, it sounded like it belonged on like a Liquid Tension Experiment album. And I don't think that it really gets the love that it, you know, does and compared to like the Dance of Eternity or some of the other instrumental tracks that Dream Theater has done. Hell's Kitchen is a fantastic song. And I don't think I ever appreciated it as much as I did, you know, when I listened to the back this week. Um, back in the day, uh, I just kind of glossed over it and I would just be like, all right, let me just get to lines in the sand. Uh, hell's kitchen is the perfect forerunner to lines in the sand. And I think when you put it together, it really just solidifies the entire middle of this disc. I have those two tracks. Um, like when I ripped this album, um, when I ripped my CD to my computer through iTunes, I actually linked these two tracks together as one track because to me, I, you can't really listen to one without the other. Um, to me, it's a 16 minute, it's a 16 minute song. And, and uh, yeah, I absolutely agree. Like the four minute hell's kitchen intro is so good. Like it's such a great way to just get into lines in the sand, which is already 12 minutes to begin with. But you, to me, you put all that together, you have a 16 minute like Epic. Um, it, it's, it's really, I, I, it's one of those things where like, I don't know if it was my attention span or, or what, but when I was younger, like I didn't really have an interest in listening to lines in the sand or trial of tears just because of, of the sheer length of it all. And now I go back and I listen to it and it's like, these are, you know, arguably the two best songs on the album. Yeah, they are. And, 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 you know, they hold up so well lines in the sand. Um, I think I got to see performed live last by sons of Apollo. That's the Portnoy Sherinian Jeff Scott Soto project uh, project. And I saw them back in 2018 at the Prague power festival, which we've obviously mentioned on the, on the podcast in the past, but that, that song is just so, so good. And even though it's, you know, it's a long song, like you mentioned, it doesn't feel like a 12 minute song. It feels like a five minute song to me just because of the way it flows. Um, I, I would, unlike some other songs on this disc, that song I could listen to in perpetuity and never get tired of it. I remember going to dream theater shows a lot when I was a kid and um, seemingly no matter how many times I saw them play. And at the time, remember they were changing up the set list every single night. So you really never knew what you were going to get when you went to a dream theater show as opposed to now where it's pretty static in its approach. But I remember seeing Peruvian skies performed a dozen times over the course of my, you know, many, many dream theater shows that I've seen. And I think I hated this song as a result. Um, I just got so tired of it. And, and, Maybe it's because it's not the traditional dream theater style like you mentioned earlier, or maybe it's just because I never thought it was a great song to begin with, but I got so tired of hearing that song live that I uh, I kind of wrote it off and I haven't listened to it in, in a long time. But going back to it, I actually really enjoyed it, and maybe the time apart is what led me to have a different conclusion, but I thought Peruvian Skies was great too. 
Absence makes the heart grow fonder, as they say. Uh, yeah, I, I enjoy that song as well. I don't think I ever had as much of an aversion to it, but um, it does remind me of the first time that I saw Dream Theater live was, um, it was either in 1997 or 98. They were opening up for ELP and Deep Purple at Jones Beach, and they th- they only got like a 45-minute set, but they played Peruvian Skies. Um and that was my first time seeing Dream Theater, and that was mainly the reason why I went. I can't remember if you were with us. Um, no, I missed that, that show. show. My first Dream Theater show was on the on the Scenes tour. It was February of two thousand, uh, where we saw Dream Theater and met Chris Jericho in the same night. If you if you recall, but I was not at the Jones Beach show uh, back in uh, on this tour. Uh, I, I I would have liked to have seen the band with Sharinian, and, and I know that seeing them open up for two larger bands in like a fourteen thousand seat. Uh, amphitheater would have been cool, but I, I never, I never actually got to see that show. But I do have a bootleg of it, so I've heard the show. I just, I just wasn't there. Yeah, it would definitely. I just remember wanting more. Like after only getting to hear forty-five minutes, I think they finished with Metropolis Part One, and it was really cool. Um, so yeah, that's what like when you bring up Peruvian Skies and them always playing it live. That's what it made me think of. Um, kind of like circling back to the whole. Um, ballad trying to make the album you know more radio friendly the thing that i kind of remember that maybe was part of the reason that we didn't love this album as much when we were younger was that you know the girls that we were dating at the time like they didn't really care to listen to metal but when they heard some of these ballads i remember one of my ex-girlfriends i i think i gave her a copy of this album and she loved it because of songs like hollow years and anna lee and and i guess after i broke up with her maybe i didn't really <laughs> think as fondly of the album but i i, just, I doubt she's sitting there listening to it now but still you know cre- credit to listening to it back in 19 yeah and i just remember like her and her friends who dated our friends and like they were all listening to it and it was just kind of funny like hey we got a bunch of uh, uh girls the high school girls to listen to dream theater and um course you know they weren't listening to to the mirror or or take the time they were listening to annalee and and uh take away my pain um i i really like take away my pain i i, I actually think that might be my favorite of the three ballads which no is kidding. funny because you said it was your least favorite but um it's it's just i don't know like it i find myself singing along to it like i just it's it's a simple song but i i enjoy it um the truth is is that like i don't think there's a bad song on this album the question is is there a lot of fantastic songs on this album well that's the thing and and like i said they're a victim of their own success when you go back and you listen to awake every song is fantastic by and large when you listen to images and words you have arguably a perfect album and, and and same thing with scenes from a memory when you look at the ballads on that album you have through her eyes and the spirit carries on you know hollow years as good as it is is not the spirit carries on arguably nothing is so it's it's you have a good album that's cloaked in between some of the best albums and some of the best music ever laid down and, and i think that's the biggest problem because you know nowadays there are just so many bands and we didn't have this problem as much back then because there just wasn't as many bands coming out with music but now it seems like every week there's just you know a dozen albums that you want to check out so when you go back into the archives and you want to go say you know what i'm in the mood for some dream theater it's probably not the album you're going to select, even though it's as good. It's a good album in and of itself. Does that make sense? 
Oh, without a doubt. Um, yeah, it's funny. There's a there's a funny quote that our our friend Pat said, and this was a long time ago. And who knows if he can even remember? It was in an email. Uh, me and you had gotten into an argument because um, you didn't like Halloween's Pink Bubbles Go Ape and Chameleon albums, and I think I was like. Um, I think I was saying like, oh, you didn't like listen to them, like really listen to them or listen to them enough or whatever. And and mm-hmm. I for, I don't know why Pat decided to chime in. I I mean, it is what Pat does. He likes to chime in, but um, <laughs> keep chiming. But uh, he he had said that he said that you know maybe you should go back and and give it a deeper listen. Like, there's a lot of good songs on here. The difference between Halloween and Dream Theater is that Michael Kisk didn't didn't ruin Halloween, but Derek Sherinian ruined dream theater or something to that effect. And in retrospect, like I don't really even know how much like Derek Sherinian had to do with anything that was released on this album, other than playing the music that was placed in front of him. Um, I think it was just a, he was a victim of, of wrong place at the wrong time, I guess. Um, I totally agree. And I'll, and I'll say this when, when it comes to Sherinian, go back and listen to some of the demos from this album. The album is completely different. Uh, I, I don't want to say completely different. The structure is there, and, and certainly a lot of the ideas are there. But in 2007, they released the demos for this album as part of the, their official bootleg series. And it's just a, it's a completely different feel to the album. And, and I think that Sherinian doesn't get enough credit for some of the keyboard melodies that he's actually put in place on here. I thought he did a great job. And as I said... If it wasn't for his role on A Change of Seasons, I'm not sure that it's the the, the classic that it is for me and my favorite song. Um, and I just one other thing. When you go back to Falling Infinity, they, they released a 78-minute album, but there were a ton of songs that never actually made the cut. Uh, and, and they had enough material for two albums. And there were a ton of B-sides that were released through the years on various demos and, and Christmas albums and other CDs that Dream Theater released. Um, Cover My Eyes... Uh, Raise the Knife, which could be found on the Score DVD uh, and some other tracks as well that just got kind of lost in the shuffle because they never made the one disc cut. But another one of those tracks was actually Metropolis Part 2. They had recorded a 21 minute demo for Metropolis Part 2 that was going to be released on this album, but they ultimately held it back and then obviously released Scenes from a Memory a couple of years later. But the just the sheer amount of material that could have been on this disc is is uh you know it's 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 astonishing no pun intended and i think that if you haven't heard those demos definitely go back and check them out because it gives a lot of these tracks a a much different feel uh in fact one of the one of those demos is called you or me which was the precursor to you not me and it has a really different feel to be honest. And I know that you were saying how much you like that. I'm not sure if you've heard you or me, but it's, it's actually a little bit heavier than, than the original. And it doesn't have quite that, um, melodic chorus that, that we're used to hearing. Uh, well, I think that, um, if memory serves, I think that this, that the original recording was on the hollow Years single, um, and I think the reason for that is because I think Petrucci wanted people to hear what his original intention for the song was. I believe what ended up happening was the the um, the label brought in Desmond Child to come in and kind of rework the song a little bit. And, um, you know, he was uh, like a 
a famous like songwriter and producer who worked with with Kiss and Joan Jett and Bon Jovi. Um, and that's my guess was that they were trying to kind of, again, like make it a little bit more radio friendly. Um, so I actually prefer the, that the version that ended up on the album. I think that, um, I, I don't know, like, I feel like when you listen to the original, you or me, like, it's almost like if it, it almost feels unfinished to me, like it doesn't hit the same note notes that the, the finished product ended up. So I don't know, to me, I thought maybe, um, they were right to make whatever changes they made, but it is kind of cool to hear so many of these original versions and demos and hear like how much stuff they had in the can that they, they really could have used. I'm sure a lot of ideas probably ended up being saved for scenes from a memory for, for better or for worse, probably for better. Um, but yeah, they obviously just had a lot, um, a lot of, of material. And when you think about it, I mean, outside of a change of seasons, um, it had been three years since awake. So, I mean, three years of songwriting is going to net you quite a bit of material. Totally. And, and just one other note, a lot, part of the reason I think this album hits home is because two of the songs in particular are, are, you know, really talking about New York city in the late nineties and, and, and being from New York city, uh, and still living there today, uh, you know, I hear songs like Hell's Kitchen, which is obviously a section of Manhattan uh, in New York City and Trial of Tears, where they reference, uh, you know, raining on the streets of New York City. It really does bring me home. So, you know, certain albums bring you back to a time and a place. And I think that this is one of those albums because I have such vivid memories of hearing it, even though it's, you know, not my favorite Dream Theater album. It's it's it, it does hold up very well, all things considered. Wouldn't you agree? Absolutely. And it was recorded in Hell's Kitchen, which I think is why they named that instrumental track as such. That's right. That's right. I mean, they also had a demo called Long Island Expressway back in the day for, you know, that was a, a B-side on, on, on one of their earlier releases. So they their, their New York City roots um, certainly still hold, hold true today. Uh, I, I guess I'll ask you this question. If you have to pick your track of the week, which one are you going with? Uh, man, it's, it's hard. Um, I mean, it was kind of hard just because, like, for different reasons, I like a lot of different songs in this album. Um, personally, I just think, um, like, the best song on the album is Lines in the Sand. Like, it's just, it's probably my favorite. And I would say, like, musically, it's the best song on the album. Um, yeah, I think that's really, I mean, it was kind of a little bit of a, a tough choice because like new millennium is a great song and there's a lot of like really good ballads and trial of tears is a, is a, is a fantastic epic last track. But um, yeah, to me like lines in the sand is maybe what, if they were going to kind of just stick to like a more smooth transition from awake to uh, you know, falling into infinity to scenes from memory, maybe that album would have been more, along those lines no pun intended um and yeah like to hear um you know sons of apollo kind of dust that off and and play that live is really cool and and you know i i should mention i wanted to mention this earlier and i kind of forgot um now that derek sherinian is in sons of apollo with mike portnoy you can you hear a lot of sons of apollo going back and listening oh, to this totally. album like there's a lot like the keyboards and a lot of the structure of some of the songs like you can definitely 
hear the influence of of this album on that band um you know totally different vocal style with jeff scott soto instead of james labrie um but like i found myself thinking of sons of apollo when i was listening to this I, and you know it's funny because every time i listen to sons of apollo i find myself thinking of this album so it's 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 not just you uh it's not just me it's it's there's definitely uh the the connection is deep and there's you can see Sheridan's influence on the album even if he wasn't necessarily um part and parcel to to coming up with uh, the compositions on all of these on on all of these songs, but yeah, Sons of Apollo is really just this era, just you know, with obviously the different vocals and, and maybe a little bit heavier because of, without the commercial influence and, and 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 trying to get on the radio with with Sons of Apollo. But it's it's great stuff, and and it really does harken back to the falling infinity falling into infinity era. And um, I think it's ironic too because like Mike Portnoy was quoted uh, as saying that. Um, if Electra Records, Kevin Shirley, and Desmond Child were not involved in the making of this album, he would have made a completely different record, which is kind of funny because you hear his influence so strongly on this sure. album. Um, so it's funny you mention Mike Portnoy. I, I, I've had the pleasure of meeting him on a couple of different occasions. And one of the times we actually spoke about this particular album and even said that this this was very close to being the end of the band. And I remember when Scenes from a Memory came out, um, it was October of 1999. And I remember that they were having an in-store signing uh, at Sam Goody uh, here on Long Island. And I, you were there that day, so you, I'm sure you remember it well. That, you know, we didn't know what to expect after this album because obviously it had been such a departure from what we were expecting. I was shocked at how Scenes from a Memory was almost like images and words part two in many ways with the with, with the way it was constructed and obviously Jordan Rudis's uh, influence on the band and and obviously it's it's a fantastic fantastic release but I, I just don't know that we were expecting what we got after falling into infinity not that falling into infinity is bad it's just that it was so different yeah without a doubt I mean there's a lot of really interesting I'd like to go back and kind of read the Dream Theater biography lifting shadows because wikipedia um quotes a few things from it um regarding the recording of this album saying that like the songwriting process was difficult but the recording itself was actually quite pleasant and it's 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 really it's a really interesting um like you know point in the band's history where yeah i mean it's interesting to me that like how much classic music might not have happened had the band fallen apart during this Oh yeah. And then obviously they're still doing well today. I mean, I've seen them at Madison Square Garden opening up for Iron Maiden. Uh, I've seen them in small clubs. I've seen them in big, you know, big, big, uh, big stadiums. It's, it's, it's amazing how well they've done. They've had multiple Grammy nominations. I mean, of all the progressive metal bands from the late eighties and early nineties, they definitely are, are the, uh, the pinnacle of success and they're still doing well today. So, so kudos to them. Um, just to pick my track for the week, uh, lines in the sand would have been number one, but since you, uh, you know, so correctly pointed that out as being probably the seminal album on this disc, I'm going to go with trial of tears. So it's uh, 25 minutes of listening for everybody. If they check out both of these tracks, but trial of tears, I think is the perfect closing track to this album. Um, and it's, you know, it's one of the tracks that I loved, you know, when I first heard it and it's a track that I still love. So I'm, I'm going to go with trial of tears. Yeah. I would have been, if you had chosen uh, lines in the sand first, I would have chosen trial of tears second. So, I mean, it's pretty unanimous two tracks. So 
kids go do your homework and uh, listen to these two songs before you rejoin us next week. Um, and uh, which comes to a rating, you know, this is, I, I, th- I find it a very difficult album to rate on a scale of one to 10. Uh, I'll, I'll say it's a 7.5. It's a good listen. It's something you can go back and enjoy, but it's probably not going to be the album that I grab when I want to listen to some dream theater again. But again, it's just because of the function of how good their back catalog is. Right. Uh, to me, like, it's an important album because it's it's just important to the history of the band and and like what came before and what came after and and there's just a lot there's a lot of good stuff in here um i'm kind of with you i'd give it a slightly higher i would go 7.75 i would say like i i was kind of debating between 7.5 and 8 and i think maybe just going with the baby yeah right in the right in the middle is the way to go like it's it's a it's a very good album but um i think just the 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 fact that there's just a little bit too much like you know ra- like radio friendly mid tempo and, and and ballads on it not that they're bad songs there's just a little bit too much of it and not enough really like meaty progressive songs like trial of tears and hell's kitchen kind of or uh, hell's kitchen and lines in the sand kind of take away a little bit but um it's not a bad album by, by any stretch of the imagination. And I think a lot of the negative press just came based on what came before and what came after. I, I completely agree. Uh, it's a good album. It's something that you can enjoy, but it's just, you know, it's, it's not, it's not a perfect disc by any means, but it does. It certainly stands up. And, and I, I'll be honest, I like it, you know, more than some of the newer stuff that they've, done in the last 20 years not to say that they haven't had some great albums they have uh you know i'm, I'm still a huge fan but uh you know it's 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 definitely not at the uh, bottom of my list of dream theater albums by any means no nor nor i mean it might be on the bottom of the list of dream theater albums but i mean they're dream theater albums so yeah a different standard right yeah the worst dream theater album of all time is better than a lot of bands best albums so that's absolutely correct uh, and there you have it, Falling into Infinity, um, which brings us to next week. And uh, for next week, I think we're going to do something a little bit different. I, I had seen, I, I'm not sure if you're aware, but a lot of artists on Spotify are coming out with their um, end of year compilations in terms of the number of streams and the number of hours listened and, and, and where those listeners are from and whatnot. And one number just caught my eye this week because I thought it was um, huge. There's a band that had over 100 million streams in 2020. And I said to myself, my God, that's that's just tremendous because I'd seen other bands that were, you know, quote unquote, much bigger bands that had 20 million streams or 50 million streams. And then there was this band that had 100 million streams. And it made me want to do something more recent because we've been doing all these, you know, older albums. But next week, I want to do a band um that you and i both know and that's amaranth because they had over 100 million streams this year uh on spotify which i just found to be astonishing boom yeah and 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 with with that i want to do uh i want to do i want to do uh manifest their new album it came out a couple of weeks ago probably about two months ago now um but i want to i want to do manifest and i want to see where this stands in terms of the uh, the hierarchy of the the Amaranth album. So if that sounds good to you, we can uh, we can get to that this week. Uh, that that's awesome. I I, I look forward to uh, talking about something current because we haven't done 
Um, like, geez, what's the newest album we've reviewed so far? <laughs> like, I mean, it's got to be what? Uh, it's probably Blackwater Park, which was 2001. I don't know that we've done anything uh, newer than that. So it's time to do something uh, something a little bit different, to do a, a newer album that just came out. And uh, we'll, 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 we'll get to that in great detail next week, I'm sure. Yep. And also, uh, we want to mention as well that we will be um, releasing a special Christmas episode. Yes, tis the season. We will uh, release a special Christmas episode. It'll drop on Christmas Day as a little uh, bonus treat for everybody, and we'll get that out to you. Uh, we'll get that out to you, so you'll see it in the feed on Christmas Day. No spoilers, but you can imagine that there's a plethora of material to choose from, and uh, we have something that we've selected. We think that um, everyone's going to love it, and and certainly that uh, it couldn't be more timely given the Christmas season. So. Uh, With that, thank you very much for listening. Uh, Give us a like or a follow. We appreciate all the support, and we will see you next week for Manifest. Take it easy. Thanks for listening, everybody. Take care.